here we are. Welcome to the Training Edge podcast. Happy holidays, everybody. Uh, 2021 is so close, and 2020 has been a wild ride, to put it lightly. Um, but to, before we dive into today's episode, I have a challenge for you. Um, every New Year's, my family and I write down our goals for the year. And these can be both athletic or they could be career-focused goals or just self-care goals. Um, but we have found that this really, it's, it's a good tool to hold ourselves accountable to refer back to at the end of the year and throughout the year. Um, so when we look back uh, at the end of the year, we're able to see you know what we accomplished and also maybe what we didn't so that we can kind of get our butt in gear and, and make it happen. Um, but for this year, many of our goals, along with many of you, I'm sure have been affected by COVID-19. So we are adding something into the mix this year. And instead of looking at all the things we didn't do, we're going to write down all the things we were able to do despite it all. So that's my challenge. Give it a try. And I bet you will achieve, you will have achieved more than you would have thought. Um, because as we started listing ours, uh, it was a pretty decent list. So we were pretty proud of that. And that helped a lot in uh, looking back on the year, both as an athlete and just as a person. So that's my homework. Um, and let me know. Let me know how it goes. But now on to today's episode. Today is part two of my coaching roundtable with Jackson Long. Um, he's a coach, um, coach of nutrition. Um, he's a coach in sport, both in mountain biking and skiing and just sport in general. And uh, he's from Sun Valley, Idaho. Um, we covered some really good topics on part one, so check it out if you have not already. Um, but, you know, everyone enjoy the holidays, and I've got some more shows to bring to the fold before the end of the year, so look for that. Um, so, yeah, now on to part two of my chat with Jackson Long. Having a team is huge, and I, I really wish that and hope that that continues to expand because it's like the teams that you have and the teams that I have and, and, and we coach on, like they don't exist across the country at all. Right. Um, they're very select and they, um, it's very much a, a very special thing. Um, and I hope that that continues to expand and like Nika has been a huge driver for that. And it's super cool to see. Um, but yeah, I mean like one of the things, I guess I'm curious to hear if you have any ideas, but one of the things I've been, I'm going to try, I think over the next couple of weeks, cause we have uh, about a month less left of cross practices and we are states are canceled. All the races are canceled. So all they're, they're all done. They're all out. Um, so now we have six practices, um, that are, you know, untargeted more or less now because their season is more or less over. So it's a period that we're embracing as just fun time. Um, and one of the things that I'm going to try is I'm going to reach out to my group. Um, and with COVID we have pretty smaller groups, um, so that it's a little bit more of a bubble, but the, I'm going to ask them essentially like what their favorite thing is that we did, um, this, this season so far. And then, uh, over the course of the six weeks, I'm going to plan on doing all of those again so that they get to experience that again and then just see how they've improved on that. And then, you know, each one of the athletes gets to have a fun activity that they know and like, and usually it's something that they're very good at. Um, so that might be a skill or it could be a game. And then the other thing I think I'm going to do is ask them what they want to work on. And that'll be another thing that we target during this time. So it's also an improvement standpoint. Um, the interesting thing with a lot of these kids is they're like 
always asking me like, can we go huck off that rock over there? Like, and I'm just like, Classic. no, dude, you're, you're on a cross bike and we need to, I don't going to the ER is like the last thing I want to do as a junior coach. So a lot of it's like, all right, we need to keep this reined in. So it might end up being like one of those things where I'm like, what do you guys want to work on? And they're like, I want to go off the biggest ramp at Valmont bike park on my cross bike. And it's like, no. Um, so yeah, it's always a balance, but I'm curious, like, okay, so those are two of my examples. Um, and I guess like one of the ones we just did at the last practice was soccer, um, with, uh, on your bikes where you can't put your foot down. Um, and it was in the dark and we had a light up soccer ball and there's like all these different things that you wouldn't normally think of, which is also a really cool thing of being a part of this junior team. So I'm curious, like, what are, what are your approaches and, um, yeah, what, I guess, what have you done this year or any, like any specifics? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, with COVID it's, it's just, it's, I mean, it's obviously hard, but it's also kind of a cool challenge in a way because it requires us as coaches to make things interesting, especially Mm -hmm. at the, at the junior level. And, you know, one thing that I did with the mountain bike team in the summer was like, I went out and created little, uh, Strava, Strava courses to, to do like a little mock cross country course where I would just, I went out and rode and and made this little short, like 30 minute loop, a couple of them. And basically just, you know, we did little race simulations. So we did little time trials and then we did a training camp in July with a, with a small group and then, and just, and did like a little individual TT where they just, where they race. And then they, we did that a couple times throughout the season to see, to, to kind of check the improvements and then, you know, did a little bit of analysis afterwards, like, okay, where, where could you have gained some time? Like, did you go out too hot? Did you navigate the, you know, the rock garden well enough or, you know, things like that, just even that and that, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm very conflicted about Strava in general, especially with junior athletes. And that's something that I actually, you know, I wanted to talk to you about, but like Hmm. we can, and so, I mean, I guess we could go there now, but just like the balance of, using Strava as a tool in that kind of capacity, because a lot of kids are just, they're going to use it. And I'm not going to tell them that they can't be on Strava because I'm not their mom, but like the, but there's also the, the dark side of it because it, what I see a lot too with younger athletes is looking too deeply into it and overanalyzing it and also getting caught up in just like with other social media platforms, the fear of missing out and the comparison and seeing what other athletes are doing and feeling like, Oh man, they, they're like, they did this training session today and I only did this. And so they must be better because they're faster than me. And, and then, you know, or on the, you know, or another example is like every time they go and ride and they're on their favorite segment, they just hammer it. And so, like how to balance that. And so I, I think I'm, I'm kind of having that internal dilemma of like yeah. how to use it in an, in a way that's effective for say doing race efforts, because on the one hand it is such a great motivating thing for them, because if it, if I just said, go and ride this loop as hard as you can. Yeah, sure. They would probably, a lot of them would probably do it, but a lot of them also could take it to that next gear go a little deeper when it, when we want, want to say, we're trying to, you know, simulate an actual race because the the race that weekend got canceled, they are so much more motivated and excited to go hard when they know that there's going to be a leaderboard after that. And we're going to look at it like we do a a race. And so it's, 
it's such a double-edged sword and I'm trying to like figure out how to you know keep it on the on the 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 good side and not have these kids get sucked into the dark side of the force with it because it's such a you know it's such a good tool but it's also such a nefarious tool that Hmm. I see gets abused um by a lot of younger athletes or or maybe athletes that are uh you know, not as confident in their abilities or in the process of, of the training program. And then they just end up abusing it and just, and, and going down that, that, that hole. So I think like, I guess to answer the question is like doing cool race simulations like that to, to, to mimic races just within the club or saying, okay, for today's workout, we're going to go for this Strava segment and try to, you know, dethrone the local adult hitter or whatever. <laughs> Um, things like that, that I think just, they get excited about and that like, you know, they can really get behind as instead of saying, okay, we're going to do, you know, three by five minute zone four efforts up this hill. Like to them, that's just like, it's just boring. Right. And so how to, I think, use these tools to our advantage. Um, but so, yeah, things like that. And then also, I, I think just, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Strava for these, these age kids. Yeah, I mean, I think through um so through the summer and fall um and now winter I've coached a uh so it was a 14, 15, um 16-year-old mountain bike crew. I coached them when I started um and I think all but maybe two of those seven had Strava and then um I've kind of coached a little bit of a, a female crew that was a little bit older and then a guy's crew that was a little bit older and all of them had Strava. And then, um, this cross crew, uh, I'm pretty sure probably 75% of them have Strava. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a double-edged sword. All these kids have training peaks accounts mm-hmm. um as being a member of bjc and that's how they get their workouts um and it's kind of like you know a training plan they're able to follow um that includes practices and stuff like that and it's um you know it's it's pretty cool because it has strength work and stuff like that too um and stretching so it, it's pretty all-inclusive which is cool um but yeah i mean i've thought about that where it's like should we have athletes looking at um, training peaks or looking at heart rate data and power data. And that's always like the next question, right? It's like, when do you give a junior a power meter? Right. Um, and then now I've got juniors on Zwift. Mm-hmm. I've got juniors with a power meter on every bike they have, including their mountain bike. Um, and I, honestly, I think it's, it's hard because I'm not, I kind of agree with you. I don't know if there's much we can do about it. Um, as far as them introducing that, I think what's really important is to somehow create a period of time, whether or not that's in their season or at practice or something like that, where they step away from all metrics. Um, and I think mountain biking is super powerful in that regard because it, to a certain extent there, there are times where you can't really follow any sort of thing other, I mean, maybe Strava KOM or something like that. Um, but what I like to have athletes do is like i want you to go out and you can record it but you can only have your clock written on your on your garment or you have to have your garment in your pocket 
Um, so that way they're in the moment, they're just focused on sensations and they're just focused on having fun. Um, Strava, I think is tough because it is, it does bring about that comparison level, which you wouldn't normally get. But at the same time, like I remember, you know, we've, well, so old, you know, um, before Strava Back was in invented, day, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, I was still asking my friends and my teammates what they were doing and, right. and what, the, what or training what they were doing. Up exactly. Climb, yeah. yeah. And then usually you'd fib it like, <laughs> oh yeah, it was like a minute faster. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm just rounding down. It's like, no. Um, and then you'd be like, yeah, I did five hours when you did four and a half plus a coffee stuff um so it's like this uh yeah just this negative vibe that way but it's also a way of challenging each other and learning too so i'm not sure like that strava is necessarily the criminal um totally on that one but at the same time i think it definitely promotes it a little bit so yeah i guess i'm just again beating around the bush but uh i i don't I guess I'm not too concerned about it just cause I'm not sure if I could do anything other than be like asking them to put their phone away or put their garment away or like take that moment in time to not concentrate on anything other than what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, which I think it's cool. I th- yeah. I think just being open about it. I think that, you know, in, yeah, in many ways, Pandora's box has been opened and we can't, take it back we can't do anything about it um and because i think the moment that you say you can't use it or stop looking at strava or stop whatever it's just i mean these they're teenage kids like they rebel against that and then they just dish it back at you and you know four times bigger and so it's yeah so i think it's it's about being open about it and not ignoring it i mean i think about this in in many ways a lot like disordered eating and eating disorders and body image stuff in sport. Um, because I think that it's, it is prevalent and it's a thing, but so many people are afraid to talk about it or, you know, menstrual cycle and and female athletes, you know, a lot of these kind of taboo topics that still have a long ways to go to be, to have those taboos and stigmas be kind of shattered. And I think the way that way forward is talk about it and to be open about it and to have conversations with these kids. And I, I try to, to, to really kind of be on the same plane as these kids, because so many of them, you know, they're, they're their own individuals and they're autonomous and they're smart and they're like, they care. And I've found that trusting them and being, uh, you know, just having, like literally adult conversations with them about these things and just, you know, being real with them saying like why Strava is this negative double-edged sword in many ways. And with great power comes great responsibility. And just having simply having that conversation with them Mm -hmm. helps them see it and be like, instead of saying not, instead of just trying to like pretend Strava doesn't exist or not have it be a part of the conversation, they're going to abuse it if that's the case. Whereas if you are just open with them and saying, look, like I know that Strava is this thing and it's fun and you guys are using it and it's tempting and fun to go for KOMs or whatever. But the reality is, is like that's amateur training. And if you want to really excel and, and kind of get to the level that you want to, there's a place for that stuff. Absolutely. But 
the pros aren't training by Strava, you know, or the elite junior, you know, competitors that you're racing against aren't training by Strava. And so Mm -hmm. how do we use it in the training program to, 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 to have it be beneficial without causing too much stress and strain and and things like that. So I think just talking about it, being open, you know, hearing their side of it too. And like asking them, okay, well, you know, what, why are you uploading every single workout that you're doing, including your strength workouts and your stretching and stuff? Or like, why, you know, why do you try to go for KOMs every single ride? Is it because you are feeling like you need to prove yourself every ride or you're comparing yourself and you want to show off your rides to your friends? Like what is the maybe underlying again? Cause this is, this is the mental side of sport. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's a it's a tough it's a tough conversation, and I think it's something that is going to be uh, a conversation we're going to keep having to have for a yeah, while. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's probably just going to get a bigger conversation. What um? So uh, this leads me to a question for you, which is not none of. The, I'm curious how many of these questions are actually like on our list, <laughs> uh, but whatever. Um, so I haven't had to have this experience, which I am. Uh, I guess grateful for, but I'm sure I'll have it at some point in my life. But have you had a kid approach you um, about wanting to achieve weight loss? And uh, if so, how do you respond in those environments? And um, what do you think the right approach is? Yeah, I mean, I haven't had, um, you know, a kid come to me directly and say that they want to, you know, lose weight, but there's definitely been scenarios or conversations I've had about, about weight and about, you know, the kind of fear of gaining weight or the fear Mm -hmm. around food or the, um, kind of preoccupation with certain foods being good or bad or healthy versus unhealthy or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like that, or, or just a, a little bit of a, of a focus on maybe other athletes, whether they're elite professional athletes or other athletes and just, you know, commenting on, on weight and things like that. And yeah, I mean, it's really hard. I think that again, similarly to the Strava conversation, it's, it's something that is here in sport and it's prevalent and there's no beating around that bush. And so we have to figure out, how to, I think, have navigate those conversations because they will arise. I mean, whether it's a junior athlete or, I mean, an, an older athlete or a, a U23 elite athlete. And I mean, in many cases, and I'm sure, you know, you've experienced some of it yourself, but I mean, I've, I've kind of been in that situation myself back in when, in my racing days. And, and I, it's so common and in many ways, of course, there it, it, it's a slippery slope and it can get into really bad and and unhealthy territory but it's also i think it shows that these athletes care about their performance and health but they just haven't had the guidance to help them along the path to see what the the right path is and and so that's why i try to have the balance between teaching athletes about nutrition that is first and foremost about just the foundation of health and you know balanced eating and and not obsessing about weight and and you know things like that and and just helping them see that food is 
is is of course important but weight is not the performance metric of of the end-all be-all performance metric you know even in a sport like cycling or even in a sport like like skiing and i think um especially at the junior level that's the least of our concerns or at least it should be mm-hmm. and instead it we need to talk about fueling we need to talk about recovery we need to talk about consistently eating meals so that we're you know we have good energy going into afternoon training sessions because you know it's like probably like a lot of the you know BJC kids they're training after school and so they're using energy at school they're they're you know trying to especially now you know they're staring at a screen all day and it's like that takes a lot of energy more than we think and we all experience the like 3 p.m. sort of lull in our energy um, especially if we aren't fueling enough just in general. And so it's like, how do you expect to show up and have a good session if you're under fueled? And so, again, I think about it like a flow chart. It's like, I mean, obviously I never, I, I really rarely talk about weight as, I mean, I never do as with regards to performance nutrition and junior athletes because it's, it's, it's not, it, it, to me, it's not a really important thing to to consider i mean if it gets brought up of course i'll talk about it like you're saying if someone comes to me and asks about it but i think what i try to talk about is like the flow chart of like okay well are you sleeping you know eight hours a night you know you're getting consistent uh, effective sleep are you coming to practice every day you're following the the training program you know and then okay if those two are, are being met are you eating a you know balanced consistent just generally, you know, quality diet that's balanced, that kind of meets your energy needs, you feel good energy, um, you're recovering well, things like that. And then, you know, it's like, it's a hierarchy of needs, right? And so, mm-hmm. but the junior level, I mean, there is even, you know, I think uh, still sort of an underground, sort of a, an undercurrent of of that kind of disordered eating. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big goal of mine to at least play a a role in, uh, in changing that, that paradigm. I mean, of course, if it does get into, uh, you know, more serious territory, that's kind of beyond the scope of, of me as a coach and as a nutritionist. And that's where I would refer to someone with more experience with eating disorders, you know, whether it's a dietitian or a psychiatrist, psychologist that, that can really help guide that because it's less at that point you know if it's a if it is a kind of an eating disorder or really serious orthorexia or disordered eating pattern then then it's then it's less of a of a that's less honestly about food and less about um you know health and performance and it's more of a a mental uh, you know a mental challenge that they have to to kind of work through so to kind of yeah to kind of close that one down i think just like focusing on the positive side of, of nutrition first, making it fun and enjoyable and seeing it and helping them see it as this thing that I think so many athletes fear food and fear nutrition as this like daunting and overwhelming thing. That's either going to, you know, that they have to control super hard or that they have to focus on and obsess over all the time. And Mm -hmm. I try to ride that balance of like making it fun and appealing and, you know, connecting the dots between what you're eating and how you're feeling, whether it's in training or racing, but also not taking it so seriously all the time and like letting go and, you know, being able to have, you know, your, your cookies and ice cream and pizza with your friends and like 
not having it be about good foods versus bad foods. Just like how do we fuel and eat and, and eat enough so that we can actually crush this interval session today. Cool. Yeah. The, this is a little, I guess like a little bit of a side comment, but one of the things I've been really enjoying about doing structured practices, um, versus, you know, obviously being more of an online coach is every single athlete has a different strength and has a very different weakness. And more often than not, they focus quite a bit on their weakness and that is a big deal to them. Um, but what I've really enjoyed throughout the entire process of the season is each practice designing a workout or a race or whatever a race course. Um, cause we do different locations every week that you create one that targets a weakness of one rider, mm-hmm. but then it also tends to target a strength of another. Ooh, I like so that. then, so then in that moment, that practice, that, that rider that, so, and then how I relate related this to my question about if you've had any kids that have come to you asking about weight, um, is it allows all different body types to come forward and succeed. Um, so, you know, if people, um, like for example, I have one kid who is, uh, a little bit on the like strength, he's a little bit on the weaker side. Um, he doesn't ride as much. It's more, he just hasn't trained as much. Um, but he's so skilled technically that if I throw a super technical race at these guys, he wins without even trying. So it's, it's amazing. And, and just to, and that'll just make their day and then make their season. And then they can work on their weaknesses a little bit more without just being this like six week slog of weaknesses. Um, and it's just awesome to see those different athletes beam and win, um, when they, I think kind of get into this self doubt cycle. Um, and it's pretty cool. I mean, sometimes it it does take some creativity of coming up with a game that's a little bit out of the box to, to give those athletes those chances, but it's, I think it like, it's totally worth it. And it also applies good life lessons to maybe an athlete that's so used to winning, um, to all of a sudden be on his back foot and need to learn something new. And, and it goes, yeah, it's just, it's so cool to watch in, in the moment happening, especially with kids. Yeah. I mean, you have to train the mental adaptation just as much as the physical, right? Yep. Because if it's just the same thing every day and they're just only training your, your strengths, it's like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna improve to the degree that you want to. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, good string of questions. Um, Man, how far are we in right now? Yeah, we're one, almost 42, an hour 42. <laughs> um, I've split pretty much all these into two parts, and this will be the same. So we can keep plowing ahead. Um, let's do this. I bet we could both get out one more question, which will give us a grand total of, I think, three questions each that we've come through. <laughs> uh, but anyways. Um, those are also layered. I know we've had like 10 questions in each, but um, one thing I've really been thinking about a lot lately um and it tends to be for whatever reason it's become becoming something that is like a huge part of my coaching and i think that's because i've been in colorado more um i'm starting to learn that multi-purposed um athlete perspective and um i'm coaching more and more like higher mountain athletes 
Um, and what I mean by that is they're in the mountains, so they are in a place that is very difficult to ride and it's pretty much not capable of riding outside, which is pretty much where you're at as well. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the transfer of basically skiing, um, and you're a runner as well. So running, um, you know, we can get into strength too, but that's a little different. And then like all these like different sports. So using skiing and or running, um, and how that transfers to the bike. Um, and if that's possible and, uh, you know, it, it could even be, and I'd be curious to hear about like roller skiing and other stuff like that too, that, um, I'm just curious how you take that approach. If you take that approach, um, and this could be either personally or with your own athletes or with the juniors or whatever it might be. Um, and I'm just curious how you, how you tackle that. Yeah. I mean, I love this. This is one of my favorite topics to discuss because I, nice. I really do, you know, I've started off as just so single-mindedly focused in cycling. Then I joined the Nordic team when I was in seventh grade. And, you know, because basically a couple of the older kids on the bike team I was on here were like, dude, you should totally join the Nordic team. It's like super great cross training for, for cycling. And it totally beats riding the trainer in your garage, you know, all winter. <laughs> And so that was, I think, a sort of my initial entry point into that sort of multi-purpose athlete. And then, you know, I then I moved to Boulder to go to college and race, and I was, you know, racing full time. And like then I kind of went back. I swung back into that full time, you know, pure cycling, road cycling only focus. And what I, I kind of eventually just had this realization that I was like, man, I'm just like sort of missing out. I think, you know, what happened uh, just long story short is like, I, you know, stopped racing. I was, uh, you know, I just, it was getting super burned out. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to become, I want to get into running. I want to train for an ultra marathon. I started training. I was going to do like a 50 K couple months after I started training, I got a stress fracture in my pelvis because my bone density was absolutely atrocious uh, you know as this, this cyclist who was probably under eating uh, for most of my career and th that kind of was just a little bit of a wake-up call to be like man I am just out of balance in terms of, of an athlete and and so I really consider myself to be a mountain athlete and that's how I really want to live just you know whether I'm competing or not and it's sort of the direction that I want to go with my own coaching is is coaching mountain athletes like you said of of kind of rolling with the seasons being multifaceted having balance and not getting so like not kind of you know pigeonholing yourself into one single sport obviously that's different that changes depending on the level you're trying to compete at and so i think that there's many shades of gray here uh, but even with the junior athletes that we coach, um, we really try to promote not a non-specializing sort of perspective, even if that means, okay, maybe Nordic skiing is my primary sport and I have these XYZ goals for reaching certain levels. So that means that in the summer I'm doing a lot of roller skiing still but I'm also running and I'm also mountain biking. I'm also, you know, cycling and, and doing other activities and sports. And that's the beauty of living in a mountain town, right? Because we are 
both at the mercy and at the blessing of having seasons. We have a very relatively short summer here, you know, and um, the winters are harsh and brutal. And so if you're a cyclist, and I did this, you know, like I was still Nordic skiing, of course, but I would still ride the trainer. And I mean, it's just, it breaks you down mentally. And so having that balance, I think is really key and, and not, especially at the younger side of high school, not specializing. And we really encourage the kids to do mountain bike racing in the summer or do, you know, other, other sort of summer sports or fall sports, whether it's the high school soccer team or playing volleyball or whatever, whatever other sport you want to do, because it, it does create that balance. And then, so you're not just focused so primarily on, on one sport. And I mean, you know, because we don't ever want athletes, I think, to feel like, especially once they step outside of the competitive sport where they're just like, they have their identity is so wrapped up in that sport that once they leave, they don't know what to do with themselves. And then they just end up not doing anything. And so that kind of comes back to the human first long-term vision and, and sort of sport as this vehicle for growth, because at least in, in Sun Valley and probably a lot of other mountain towns, including Boulder, there's such a culture of outdoor activities, whether it's winter, fall, summer, every, every season, whether it's backcountry skiing or, you know, mountain biking or whatever that there's like, there's so many athletes that don't compete that just it's part of the lifestyle. And so I want to try to help athletes see that and, and, and cultivate that and be, and, and be really good at, you know, of course you can't be like world-class at every single sport, but like kind of a, a little bit of a jack of all trades in a way where you can mix it up. Because I think at least for me, I just do so much better. I feel so much better. I'm so much fitter and healthy and happy when I can be like, okay, well, what am I going to do today? I don't feel like riding my bike. So I'm going to go for a run in the mountains or, you know, I've, I've just been skiing so much Nordic this, this week. I, th- I want to go for a backcountry tour and just mix it up and go, you know, have some solitude and hike in the mountains. So yes, I think that it's, it's a balance and we try to, to do that with, you know, say, you know, for example, over the summer and in, in July, we did like a, a three day kind of adventure camp with the Nordic kids where we brought bikes and we, 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 since we couldn't transport the kids, we started in Sun Valley. They rode their bikes up this big mountain pass. They dropped the bikes. We put them in a trailer. Then they got on. They put their running shoes on and they ran, you know, up this peak and then dropped into this valley where we met them with the van and all the camping gear. And we camped cool. that night. And then we just did this huge point-to-point loop around Sun Valley, mix of bikes and running and hiking and off-trail slogging and like you know, just really fun. And it's just, it's all it's all stimulus. It's all helping progress to build an endurance engine, to learn how to suffer in the mountains, to learn how to, you know, overcome challenges when you're like, you know, super tired after three hours of hiking off trail, it all helps. And so I think it's, it's important to have that balance, especially at that age, but that's not to say that we're not running regular structured roller ski practices all summer long and working on technique in our super fancy indoor roller ski treadmill and things like that, you know? So I think there's like, there's a, there's a balance to be struck, but I really want to help support 
athletes that are interested in in having that balanced approach with many different types of sports yeah it just promotes exploration um i heard a i was listening to the nike project podcast the Mm. other day and um they were like one of the questions that was submitted was basically just like how do i provide um guidance towards letting my child choose what sport they want to do and um because what often ends up happening is that your child does what you did um most of the time you ask somebody hey how did you get into cycling or like hey how did you get into skiing it's like oh my parents did it but um but like is that confining is that not allowing your child to find their true passion or their true calling um you don't know so that i think like the way what you're talking about allows them to try different things even if they never do it again but at least like they went out and they did it and maybe they'll go out and they'll be like oh man i really like running trail running is really fun and then they start doing that and then maybe become they become like a marathon or an ultra runner or whatever it might be um and i think that's like really a really cool powerful thing that the mountains provide um and i guess you can do it other elsewhere you just have to maybe try a little bit more um but yeah i think like that is that is huge well, it's that been was... sorry go ahead yeah well i mean just to, to interject i think like that's a big reason that i i decided to move back to sun valley i mean i have nothing against boulder but right, right i just i really missed the super close access to skiing and mountain biking and like just uh, just the close kind of mountain ski town community that you know, Boulder is, is great, but it's like, to me, it's a big city. You know, I come from this town of like 5,000 people. So it's like, I, it's just, it, it's massive for me. And, and I, I love living there the seven years I did, but I, over the past five years have become so much more like connected to and passionate about the, the kind of mountain athlete lifestyle of like just every day mixing it up, biking, skiing, running, you know, backcountry skiing, going on to, up to the ski resort to do some, you know, shred some powder days and like trail running and hiking peaks and doing crazy traverses and things like that. And obviously that means that I'm not going to be like specializing in, you know, winning crits because you just can't, I mean, there is of course something's got to give, but like, I think, and so I feel extremely privileged to be in the position that I am. And I recognize that not everybody can, can have that kind of access, but I think that it, it's something that I sort of wish that I had focused on a little bit more when I was growing up here, that I took it for granted that I lived here. And I was just like, so focused on road cycling where, and, and like, honestly, the road cycling here sucks because we just live in this big giant Canyon. And so it's like, I think my advice is for athletes that are living in places where that you have access to a lot of different sports is to is to dabble in it and to 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 give it a shot and to give your kids a shot at it as well and not because i think a lot of parents and a lot of athletes you know in today's generation do get so focused on specializing early and wanting to funnel them into the super high level and just only focusing on one sport putting all you know pushing all of your poker chips into that pot where you know, that's a, it's a, that's a pretty hefty bet. And if you're, yeah. I mean, if you're willing to go there, then okay. But like, I just think that it, it, it can also, um, 
come back to bite you in the ass if it's not, if it doesn't work out. And then, you know, then it's just, it's so it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool perspective. Yeah. And it's, I think on, uh, I guess I, I haven't done this with a junior, um, and I don't think I would, but on the adult level, there's also the ability to track different systems at this point. Mm-hmm. So you can say you don't, uh, it's not an exact one-to-one transfer by any means, but, um, you are at least able to say like, okay, I need you to target this system when you're maybe just doing like an uphill run or something like that. Like that's, um, you can, you can still step away and say, this is what we can still get out of this period of, um, to make adaptations physiologically towards your cycling so that you can still take advantage of this time so that it's not just a total waste of that period. Um, and that usually I still have them ride. I still have my athletes ride the trainer, but at the same time, it's like, all right, I need you to go skate and I need you to target this type of format of an effort. So they'll go out and find a good place to do loops or something like that. And then um, execute a workout in that way. And it's, it's nice. Cause it's like, you know, most of these athletes might, might get them to have a watch and then they have a heart rate strap on. But then other than that, they're not able to just like, you know, look down at their watch when they're skating. So it's, I mean, they can, but it's a little tough. So most of the time that means that it's a pretty freestyle esque workout with a target. And that I think goes really far. And then as a coach, I can see the data afterwards and say, okay, sweet. This is kind of like effectively what we accomplished. Um, and then you can have them do a similar workout on the bike. And then if they, if you see similar adaptations to a certain power level, then like, for example, on a heart rate decoupling scale, then you can see exact adaptations that were taking place from their skiing, which is awesome. And that's like the stuff that, um, really geeks me out is like that I can do that. And then we can not extend those mental matches on the trainer. Um, Mm. so it's, that's that I've been getting more and more into that. And it's tricky because like, as you know, form, uh, can, especially in regards to Nordic skiing, uh, can limit what the athlete is capable of touching on. Um, so like, for example, like you might not even be able to get to a VO two max heart rate because you can't move forward well enough to be able to do so. Or on Um, the flip side, you're like just immediately in the, in the red because you just have terrible technique. Right. But it might be like capped where it's like you're always at threshold or something like that just to move forward. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, and that's been super fascinating to figure out. And then that tends to vary. And then it might be like, oh, they only like to do backcountry skiing. So now it's like they just have this huge uphill mountain that they do at the beginning and then they ski down. And that's that I have to pull from that initial section. Um, and obviously the demands of the mountain might change what they're doing. Um, so yeah, it's just been a, a different way of doing things. And, um, running has been another one that I've been diving into a little bit, um, with runners who are going by power and other stuff like that. And it's just, it's just never ending on the, on the data side and trying to figure out exactly what truly changes and transfers over has been fascinating, but frustrating also. At the same yeah. Time. Well, I mean, it's like, I think, you know, I think about this a lot too, and especially like shoulder seasons and even in the winter for cyclists, like how productive is a two hour trainer's endurance ride on the trainer going to, you know, versus just if you're, if you can ski, go out and ski for a couple hours. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like it, it, it's definitely, 
tempting, I think, to, to look at that data and like see the difference in the demands, but even, but you can't necessarily quantify the mental piece of that because yep, if, totally. you know, if you've been riding the trainer for a month because it's winter and it's a heavy snow year and it's cold and you're not going to, of course, go right outside, I think breaking it up and like emphasizing and encouraging an athlete to go skiing is like just as if not more productive because they're outside they're you know they're able to it's a little bit more stimulating maybe they're working different muscles different energy systems and as long as they are still monitoring their intensity and effort and things like that i just i just don't see the purpose of i mean of course unless it's like a very specific trainer workout but like and specificity in cycling and skiing matters. But I think it's just like the, even just the mental break that you get from, you know, riding the trainer or doing a Zwift race or whatever is, is important. And I mean, especially at, at the junior age where, right, you know, yeah, totally. for a lot of these kids, they have friends that are not athletes or they're not in their specific sport. And, you know, they, they want to go, it's a it's a sick powder day and they want to go you know ride the chairlift with their friends and they're like oh well sorry you know i can't because i have a three-hour trainer session it's like okay well it you know you're still gonna get a good stimulus from even just going and skiing you know riding the the chairlift at the resort or going to the backcountry or something like that and so yeah i mean i i think it's a it's an important lesson in being so single-mindedly focused on one sport can can sometimes you know it 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 can also backfire in a way because it can also create that imbalance and especially in cycling i mean i there's a there's a number of kids on the uh, on the mountain bike team that are also on the nordic team so i coach them throughout the whole year and some of them are new to nordic skiing and and you can just tell like they're just so imbalanced i mean i see like myself in them because it's like you know we're just cycling is a very one-dimensional sport where you're just you know in that single in that single plane whereas with nordic skiing it's it's a very dynamic especially with skate skiing you know it's like a very dynamic sport and so trying to correct those imbalances is like they're almost behind you know we have to like start from an earlier place and so would it would it serve them better to be you know to have more of a to, to, to be engaged in say summertime roller skiing so that they can have a better balance instead of just only riding their bike in the summer you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i'm just uh i guess as you mentioned just grateful to be in a place where that's possible yeah. um because i i mean i grew up in indiana uh, there's no skiing options. Um, there's no, really, there's no, uh, even the concept of trail running, I didn't even know knew existed until I guess college probably. Um, and then road cycling was it. There wasn't really mountain biking. Wasn't necessarily a thing. I knew people did it. I knew it wasn't a big deal there because there wasn't a whole lot of trail access. Um, so yeah, I mean, it like, on a coaching standpoint, I'm, I am also grateful because then it's a lot easier to introduce diversity and introduce fun in diversity, um, compared to, well, we could go do this hill instead, um, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, different, but all right. I think, 
I think you're up. Last question. Yeah, last question. Okay, this is a last perfect, question. perfect one to, to oh, kind great. of finish it up. So I'm just curious to see, since you've been in the game a little bit longer, and maybe just some lessons to be gleaned from it, like where do you see the profession of coaching looking like in 10 years with either from a, like a technological standpoint or even maybe the importance of the humanistic side of coaching with all of the technologies coming into play more and more and like artificial intelligence and, you know, things like that. Like, where do you see the role of coaches like you and I who are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, still pretty new to it, especially me. Um, but where do you, you know, like how, how do you picture coaching in 2031? Man, what a great question. Um, it's funny cause I, I just did, um, my USAC presentation. I was a speaker at the USAC coaching summit oh, cool. and my presentation was on creating a brand as a coach. Oh. Um, so creating your brand and that topic, um, wasn't necessarily designed to be forward thinking like, well, sorry, that's very false. Actually, it's very <laughs> supposed to be very forward thinking, but not like leaps and bounds yeah. as far as what the, um, coaching world will look like in, you know, 20, 30 years or whatever that might be, um, or, or 10. Um, it was more just like, how do you, uh, craft your coaching looking forward? Um, which made me think about like, well, what is that? What do I see as a progression of where coaching is going, um, as an online coach now as somebody that's doing more in-person coaching, um, and somebody that's like really been trying to grow my voice throughout the course of 10 plus years of coaching. So this is a great question. I think that something I've been thinking a lot about lately is the importance of uh, a culture and a community. Um, so I think that uh, you'll, I think we'll see more of that. Um, I think that that is becoming something that people are able to kind of latch onto as far as more of like a training uh, not necessarily a training group, but something that everyone is kind of like targeting the same goal and there's communications and there's this realm of, of just a general community to be a part of. And you've seen, I'm like, you've seen the growth, um, in the fast cat forum and just like within the training plan athletes, like Frank has done just such a phenomenal job growing that side of the fast cat community. And just, it has made our pool of people and outreach so much bigger. And, and that's, that is so empowering for individuals, um, that I think that that's going to be a big thing, um, in the future. Um, I think that as far as like what coaching individuals will be, um, moving forward, I th it'll probably, I'm sure become more advanced on the technological side. Um, like <laughs> at the beginning of the year I was, I had an athlete, um, who bought a self, you know, like on the go lactate test device that would give me, um, in real time lactate values, um, while he was riding every session. So that was like, yeah, the technology advances are just getting insane and I'm sure they will just continue to do so. Um, what I found is really interesting is that, um, with the rise of, like gravel and these adventure rides and FKT attempts and all these different things that it kind of threw those out the window 
a little. Mm. Like it didn't, it wasn't just this, like when I was, you know, maybe before Growl got really big, it was, all right, how, you know, the FKT, F, um, FPT, ugh, I cannot speak, <laughs> FTP, um, so your functional threshold power, that was like the biggest thing that everyone cared about. And it took so much to get people to step away from that. Mm-hmm. And now people are just as much wanting to talk about their tire choice and pressure um, or how to ride gr- like a certain switchback as they are with uh, what their power is and where their threshold is sitting and what their max sprint power is. And um, and that has been super refreshing just because it, it finally, I think, made the sport a little bit more all-encompassing and, and more experiential based. Um, and of course, you know, at the upper top-notch level, the, the pro peloton is a little bit of a different story um, where I think that the top end of the sport is just going to continue to push that technological advancement and just physiological demand um, because the top end of the sport, everyone is good now and everyone is good year round, um, which is such a crazy concept to think about. Um, But yeah, so I think at the top end of the sport, I think technology is going to just keep going through the roof. I think just the, the minute advantages that people take advantage of um is just going to continue to grow and grow and grow um anything from just like aerodynamic advantages to like supplements to um clothing and bike use and everything um i think it would just be so extreme and just so ridiculous um and then for i think the just the general uh i guess percentage of athletes within the sport i think that it'll be a more all-encompassing experience, um, especially in the United States as racing, I think will be less and less about the criterium and more about those races that everyone gets to experience something in. Um, I think those will just be, those will just continue to grow. Um, yeah, even with COVID. Uh, so I think in that way, that'll change how coaches have to approach those athletes in the fact that um, sure. Those athletes also want to see the details and want to see the power numbers and want to be, uh, data oriented, but at the same time, they need to dive into other things. Um, maybe fueling all of a sudden is more important. Maybe, um, equipment choice, maybe the ability to ride in mud or like all sorts of different things that you wouldn't have touched on previously, um, becomes a big, bigger deal. So I think in a way I see coaching, continuing to expand um to different environments as the goals of athletes continue to change so yeah that's i guess i kind of that's kind of where i see it targeting i think the top end of the sport will stay roughly the same trajectory and just increase in that direction and then uh the rest of it will kind of expand and evolve um and i think covid's just given us a great example of that on what directions it can take. And sadly, I think, uh, I guess it's not sadly, I don't want to say that, but I think online racing and e-racing will become even more of a platform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all of that. I mean, I think, yeah, I think the top end of sport is going to, is going to stay, you know, relatively the same. Um, but I, I think that for me, I, I just, I, I'm such a philosophical thinker that I think that, sport is going to i think that covid has hopefully illumin been illuminating for a lot of athletes that 
like we were talking about earlier that the the outcomes and the race based mm-hmm. sort of motivation you know if that is the sole thing that is you know giving you the motivation to go out and train every day is like it's 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 gonna it's a little bit of a wake-up call i think um so i think the the, the role of coaching in in, in in you know in the next 10 years is really for me i see it i mean and it's it could just be my naive self because i'm still new in this is is the like the human side of it of the mental uh, support the accountability and especially you know right now with with how COVID is is and, and just like less you know group dynamics less social interactions um having a coach as someone to to kind of connect with communicate with talk to support um and and kind of pulling in nuggets from sports psychology and nutrition and things like that that uh to kind of help because i think just you know inevitably technology is going to continue to exponentially rise and as we start to get you know, I mean, who knows, eventually we might get the perfect meter that like is implanted into our body that will be able to like (laughs) perfectly tell us exactly what training we need to do to reach our max potential. And okay, great. If everyone has that, then what's the point? And so, but that doesn't necessarily take into account the mental side and the, the guidance and all of that. And so I really just want sport to be like you said, an experience and and not necessarily a performance and to have coaches be a fixture in the sport still and have athletes, you know, have, have mentors and, and, you know, support in the, in from coaches to be able to still recognize that, you know, we're all humans first and we want to enjoy this and, and have positive peak experiences in our sports. That's not necessarily even related to, pure performance in a FTP or, you know, uh, race performance type of deal. And so I think there's going to be even, I think there's just going to be even more of a demand for, for coaches because it's a, it's, it, it really brings out that, like you said, community and human side of sport, which is to me such a critical piece of this, of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I, yeah. 100%. I mean, the had an athlete, last week or maybe two weeks ago tell me i was the basically the cheapest therapist (laughs) um which is true um but i'm also not a therapist but the the but there is a huge side of that within coaching and that's i think in a way i kind of see coaching as this we basically it's impossible or it's very difficult for an athlete to totally remove the emotional side of everything that's happening and then analyze and respond calculated. Um, and then to have somebody that's essentially what I'm doing. So if you come to me and you have something that's really bothering you, all I'm doing is usually just telling you to step back and see a couple things and then ask again, exactly. And that's, I mean, that, I guess that can be therapy, but that's essentially what that coach is for. And I don't think that will, I freaking hope that that never changes because it's such a phenomenal reason to have a coach. And, uh, it's when you can really see, and I'm still working on it, but when you could really see a good coach is when they're able to get an athlete to do that and do it on their own, which is pretty cool. Um, and like the other day I was 
reminded of an instance where like Kate Courtney was telling a story where essentially, or actually, no, I think I was at a coaching summit and Jim Miller, which is Kate Courtney's coach was saying that he gave Kate this like almost impossible workout. And she, he knew what time of day she always did her workouts. So he turned off his phone during that like three hour window so that, um, he knew that she would be giving, get sending him a text about that workout and about how, Hey, this is like impossible. Are you really wanting me to do this? I don't think I should be doing this. And then, um, he knew that she would have that reaction. And then she, he also knew that when she could like calm down originally and then just went out and tried it, that she would be able to succeed. And she did, she went and like out and got through it. And, um, you know, I respect Jim a lot for that. Uh, I guess, the way of approaching that situation. Not many athletes could handle it that way. So that's obviously a very direct example. Um, and not everyone should do that, but like still that is a huge piece of coaching that I really hope always is always a thing that can't be replaced by a program or a whoop or a resting heart rate score or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, it's not becoming a slave to the training plan. And I, I really want to, impart onto the athletes I coach, especially the young ones that, that to not just blindly follow the program and to ask questions and be curious and to, you know, bring that human side into it and not just take everything that I put into the plan or, you know, about nutrition or whatever as gospel and be able to have some autonomy themselves. And I think a lot of that comes from the relationship of building the trust between the coach and athlete and having conversations and and having that bond that I think is, is, is sacred in a way. And I think we have so much responsibility and it's almost like a very, like a, you know, like not a hopeless pursuit, but it's like, we, we, as coaches, I think have so many different hats that we wear. And, and as a result, there's just a huge amount of opportunity to, especially the junior level to, to play a big role in, in an athlete's development. And so I think it's, it's easy to be hard on ourselves and it's easy to, um, you know, want to fix everything, but a lot of it does come down to the athlete as well. And, and I, I really would hope that with all of these continuations and Strava and whoops and power meters and, you know, things like that, training programs and, you know, social media influence that, um, coaches will still remain a fixture in sport because I think without them, then we'll just be at the mercy of technology to, you know, just take over our lives because I mean, it's just like what's happening. And so, right. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a really interesting thing to think about. I think. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I think that gives, uh, yeah, good hope to coaches and athletes as kind of like what the pursuit of everything is and how to help within that. Um, sweet, good questions. Um, yeah, thank you. Man, I I think I'm yet to get through all five questions from each coach. (laughs) That was (laughs) awesome. These episodes. All right, man. Um, wow. Two, two hours and 18 minutes so far. Um, good stuff. Thank you. Um, all right. Thanks again, everyone for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. We will be splitting these up into two parts. Um, so find us on Instagram at Training Edge Pod, um, and of course, you know, let me know if you have any coaches that you want me to invite on. If you have any topics that you feel we are 
uh, not touching on. Um, so yeah, Jackson, where can they find you at? Um, yeah. Where can they find you? Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks again. That was super fun. I love that format. So yeah, for sure. Uh, appreciate the, the, the thought provoking questions. Um, yeah, I have my own podcast. It's called in the flow. Um, I also have, uh, in the flow nutrition.com and I do some kind of like bespoke, nutrition consulting services um but yeah you can i'm on instagram at in the flow nutrition um and yeah you can find me skiing in the backcountry this winter and yeah skiing around on the on the skinny skis uphill as well so nice um, nice yeah cool very cool all right thank you again um yeah i guess to everyone out there enjoy um we are recording this now the week before thanksgiving but it will be out probably in a couple weeks. So um, I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving and a wonderful, wonderful week. But until next episode, everyone, um, keep pushing yourself and keep finding your edge. Mm-hmm.